Welcome to the Cell Intel podcast, where we explore how single cell and spatial analysis methods are being adopted and are accelerating discoveries in life science research. Hi, everybody. We're here today on the Cell Intel podcast, talking with Nikki Hales and Diana Wynn of the University of North Texas Health Sciences Center. Thanks so much for joining, ladies. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, thank you. And and I want to just have each of you go ahead and introduce where you are at in your careers, what your titles might be, and how you met, if you don't mind. We'll start with Nikki. Sure. Yeah. So like you said, my name is Nikki Hales. Prior to joining 10X, I joined here two months ago. I was running a brand new genomics core facility at UNT Health Science Center. And that's where I met Diana. Actually, we had a couple undergrad classes together. We found out later, small world at UT Arlington. But now I'm working as a sales executive for 10X covering Texas and Oklahoma. And my name is Diana Nguyen, and I'm about to start my sixth year in the DO PhD program at UNT Health Science Center in Fort Worth. Great. So you have some years under your belt, and you're a part of the Cunningham Lab, correct? Can you tell us yes. a little bit about what the lab studies and what your graduate work focuses on? Yes, I'm in Dr. Tom Cunningham's lab, and one of the main research areas in our lab is studying the neurohumeral control of fluid and electrolyte homeostasis, or in other words, how the brain controls fluid and electrolyte balance. And we're particularly interested in studying things in the context in the context of hyponatremia, which is not only the most common electrolyte disorder in a clinical setting, but It's also an independent risk factor for increased mortality in patients with heart or liver failure, resulting in a poor prognosis in these patients. That's basically what our lab studies. Great. So are you working mostly in human as a model system, or do you also work in other organisms? In our lab, we mainly work on animal models, particularly rats. And what scientific question did you have that made you seek out spatial gene expression analysis? The questions we were studying, as I mentioned before, our lab studies um, how the brain controls fluid electrolyte balance, and particularly in disease states such as heart and liver failure. And while there's epidemiological information in the literature for sex differences on the prevalence of liver cirrhosis, little was known about the sex differences in the development of hyponatremia during the liver cirrhosis. So my PhD dissertation aims to address this knowledge gap focusing on studying the sex differences in the neurohumor control aspects using a preclinical model of hyponatremia. And so in our initial sex differences studies in the lab using the animal model I mentioned called bile duct ligation or BDL, in which the animals develop liver cirrhosis, it showed that unlike the male rats, the females did not develop hyponatremia And so our first question was, why is this happening? And what are the factors involved in the sex differences observed? And being a neurophysiology lab, we were wanting to know, firstly, what's happening in the brain. And so the key players in the neurohumor control of fluid and electrolyte balance are these magnocellular neurons located in the 
paraventricular nucleus and supraoptic nucleus of the hypothalamus, which is a region in the brain. And these magnocellular neurons release oxytocin and arginine vasopressin, more commonly known as antidiuretic hormone. You've probably heard of ADH or antidiuretic hormone. And so in the studies I mentioned uh, in our initial sex difference studies, the females also did not have an increased vasopressin neuron activation like the males. And so the reason why we seeked out the spatial gene expression analysis is because the interesting about, or one of the cool things about the superoptic nucleus is that unlike the paraventricular nucleus where there's several subdivisions and a heterogeneous neuronal population, the superoptic nucleus or SON has two distinct, two distinct neuronal populations. And so we felt it was a good model to start off with the spatial gene expression analysis because we wanted the spatial context to, since there are only those two neuronal subpopulations, it's a good place to start. Great. Sounds like a really nice use case. So what skill sets would you say that you brought to the table? What was your experience hands-on doing science that you contributed to this spatial gene expression workflow? Yeah. So for the spatial gene expression workflow, I just want to start off that I had prior to this, I had like little, basically no uh, transcriptomics background at all. And so uh, although like I knew I wanted some exposure in like my graduate training, I had no idea that it would be a big part of my dissertation. And so I was... Um, really hesitant in the beginning to to start, but uh, working with the core, which we'll, Nick will probably add on later, it was a very great learning experience for both of us and a good collaboration. But what I brought to our collaboration is the beginning of the Visium workflow with the animal uh, work and then the tissue prep. And so I did everything on that end, animal work and then the tissue preparation, which also includes the cryo-sectioning and then mounting the sections onto the capture areas of the Visium slide. And then I would hand off the slide to Nikki, who would do the H&E staining. And then after that, I helped out with the microscopy part to image the regions of interest and then give it back to Nikki. And then she does the remainder of the library prep and then the sequencing. Great. And did you guys rely on other collaborators for data analysis or is that something you addressed yourselves? As far as now um, in the preliminary stages, we've been just uh, doing it with our lab after Nikki gives us the data after the sequencing part. Yeah, I would run it through, I ran it through Space Ranger for them and sent them over all the process files and yeah. yeah, they took it from there. Wow. Okay. So Nikki's bringing in bioinformatics skill sets as well as genomics hands-on workflow, which is wonderful. You know, I see a lot of these partnerships where people might have a histology background, sectioning mm -hmm. and placing things on the slide, maybe even staining and imaging. And then you have other folks who are handling more of the molecular biology aspects of the workflow. Nikki, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background, how you got connected with Diana and what you kind of brought to the table in that regard? Yeah, sure. So my background, I have a pretty heavy background in NGS and general next generation sequencing. So 
I started out doing bulk like everyone else, and I actually didn't get into single cell at all until I entered the core in 2019. So prior to that, the only time I'd ever seen a tissue was when I was crushing it up in a tube to extract all the DNA or RNA from it to do bulk work. So it was really exciting times for me getting to learn single cell and spatial and Tom Cunningham's group with Diana, like as soon as Spatial came out, or it wasn't even, it was on pre-order. They yeah, were like, pre-order. we need to order that now. <laughs> we don't care when it's coming, just order it now. We're going to do it right away. So it was really exciting to have like that initial huge interest in the application. So as soon as it started shipping, we got it in. And that was the first time I'd ever even seen a cryostat. <laughs> so I'd never even seen a tissue sliced onto a slide before, had maybe saw a microscope in like my biology lab in undergrad and hadn't really touched one since. So I was really happy to know that Diana was going to be able to spearhead that end of the protocol because that was part of it that I was really uncomfortable with. And we ended up complimenting each other really well. Like the part of the workflows that I felt a little uneasy about, she was super comfortable with and vice versa. And the workflow is honestly so easy. And the bioinformatics side of it is really simple as well. Like I, I definitely don't consider myself a bioinformatician at all. Like I more consider myself like a computational tool user. Like I, as long as the pipeline is there and I can just input the commands and there's not too much manipulation on that's needed on my part, I can do it. And with Space Ranger, that was the case. So I was usually able to get their data turned around to them pretty quickly. And then they just took the C loop files and went from there. I've got to say that was my experience in running 10x pipelines is I'm a basic command line user and finding that utility and ease of use was really important for me. So it's great that you had a similar experience. What about at the level of data interpretation? Were you using Loop Browser for that or are you handing off to third-party tools or other types of packages? So what we have so far, I've been mainly using Loop Browser to do the initial analysis, but in the the future, we will be using more of the third party, like you mentioned, R packages. Sounds good. And are you partnering with other people for those types of downstream analyses? Yeah, we're most likely will be partnering and collaborating with other people in the field who have primarily worked on bulk RNA-seq and other transcriptomics, but not necessarily spatial transcriptomics. So we'll all be learning together, which is exciting. Definitely exciting. I'm seeing kind of a revolution in the field, and we're leaning on a lot of different people's expertise, but spatial is new to everybody. So I think it's going to be a really exciting time in that regard. Yeah, it definitely requires collaboration, which is fun, Mm -hmm. forcing people to work together. No, I think that's one of my favorite parts, like getting to work with other people. I got to know Nikki really well through this process. And then... Yeah, a lot of early mornings together. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely uh, met a lot early on going through the protocols together, watching the videos, the awesome, amazing 10x uh, videos on... Yeah, the how-tos. How-tos for the the museum. So it was great. And now also getting to meet other people in the more transcriptomic field in the, our regions of interest. And I'm looking forward to that for sure. 
we got to know the website, the 10X website pretty yeah. well. So it was like and for me transitioning over to 10X and like providing resources for customers was like super easy. I was like, I know where everything is. And then we also very heavily leaned on the tech support team. Yes. So yes. we were sending emails to support at 10xgenomics.com like yeah. maybe three times a week. They were like looking over our web summary files to make mm-hmm. sure everything looked good. There was a few mistakes I had made in the lab along the way and they were extremely supportive and getting me back up and running and yeah tech support definitely played a huge role in our success. Yeah I tell people all the time how wonderful 10x support is because we would we in the beginning we emailed them a lot just asking like when we did the tissue optimization just to double check if the time we selected was what they would and they were always uh, very supportive in that sense. We actually have tech support teams in Europe and in Asia now, so they work in every time zone, which is oh, really wow. nice. I get some of my West Coast customers burning the midnight oil, and they even get responses quite quickly given that. Oh, that's also, awesome. As an FAS, I find that a lot of my job is knowing how to connect people to resources. Something Mm -hmm. I hear over and over again is that we have tons of documentation, which is wonderful. And the real key is just learning how to unlock that and how to find what you are looking for, because it's all there. There's a lot of transparency here, which is really great. All right, so I'd like to transition a little bit and have Diana tell us the most important, the most exciting part of this whole process, which is, what did you discover? Yeah, so we acquired so much data from our Visium experiments that we are currently still analyzing all the data, but from a preliminary sense, so far based on the data from just the control male rat, we found based off of the default gene cluster analysis from Loop Browser, we were able to successfully differentiate myelinated fiber tracts from nuclei in the the section that we uh, were able to capture on the Visium slide, containing our regions of interest, which is the SON and the PVN, or superoptic nucleus and paraventricular nucleus. And we also found from that gene cluster analysis that the SON clustered with the magnocellular PVN, while um, parvocellular PVN, which is another subdivision of the PVN, is part of a different cluster. And from the differential expression analysis from Loop Browser also, we revealed relevant genes for the distinct regions and neuronal populations in the that were in the top 50 globally distinguishing genes. And so our genes of interest were there and what was expected for that the regions were there as well. And then we also did some targeted gene analysis in specific our specific regions and observed that the oxytocin, there were oxytocin and vasopressin dominant spots in the superoptic nucleus with anatomical distribution consistent with immunohistochemistry results in the literature and what we've seen before in our lab as well. So in the SON, oxytocin is located more anteriorly and dorsally, while the vasopressin are located more ventrally and posteriorly, and then there's both in the middle. So we saw that throughout our sections when we did subsequent uh, consecutive sections. Well, you already fielded my next question, which is really what was the impact of using spatial gene expression? I think you had a really wonderful model use case for this, looking at differential gene expression within different regions of the tissue. 
Um, did you learn anything about sex differences or are we waiting on that data? Yeah, we're still waiting on that data. We ran our experiments on the females, but we're waiting for the sequence data to go through the pipeline and then you're just basically waiting on the C-loop files and other associate files so that we can do the analysis. But I am excited to soon, hopefully in a month or so, we'll be getting that data and so we can compare between the males and the females. And you noted that this first sample that you've already analyzed was male control. What do you have as far as experimental groups? Yeah, so these we have so far are just from the control male rats. And we also ran some of the rats that underwent the bile duct ligation surgery I mentioned previously for our animal model of liver cirrhosis. And that's where the male rats also develop jaundice, liver failure, and hyponatremia. But the females have not been, they, they do develop the liver hypertrophy, but they don't, hypertrophy, but they don't uh, develop the hyponatremia. So we're interested to see whether there's uh, differences in the gene expression in our regions of interest from the females compared to the males when we get that data back. It's time for Little Gems. And we have two little gems for you this time. In our last episode, we introduced the Chromium X system for easy, reliable, and scalable single cell analysis. Well, now through September 24th, 2021, you can take advantage of special offers on 10X Genomics instruments and reagents. Whether you're aiming to start your single cell journey or just expanding your lab's capabilities, you can cross those 10X Genomics single cell and spatial products off your lab's wish list. Contact your 10X Genomics sales executive to learn more, or go to 10xgenomics.com forward slash cell dash intel and click on episode seven to see how to take scalable single cell analysis from your wish list to the bench. And our second little gems is about a very important resource. Today, we want to tell you about a site that can be key to a successful single cell or spatial analysis experiment all the way to publication, the 10X Genomics Support Site. You can find this treasure by going to 10xgenomics.com forward slash gem7, that's G-E-M-7. A lot of people think a support site is just for troubleshooting, but you should actually go here no matter what stage you're at, or even if you just want to know how people implement single cell and spatial in their lab. You can get the big picture and the fine details about experimental planning and design through data interpretation. So I'm going to walk you through a couple of the resources that we have available here. First off, there is a nice search bar, which allows you to access specific articles and resources related to what exactly you're going there for. We also have getting started guides, which are great for getting going, doing experimental planning and design. And then we have sections with details on all of the steps of the workflow. I'm talking sample preparation with demonstrated protocols for different sample types, full user guides, and basically the protocols end-to-end for all of our assays. There are how-to videos linked here, which are great for actually demonstrating physically what steps in the process are happening and how to use proper technique for those steps. We have on-demand trainings, which are basically recordings of somebody going through and giving the full workflow training, just like I do when I'm training users who have purchased a new instrument. We have software downloads, 
software tutorials, which will walk you through. You can just follow along how to use all of our software and pipelines. We have example data sets that you can play around with right now if you want to see what our data looks like. And we also have this thing called a knowledge base. So if you see, there's a little Q&A icon up in the corner of the page. It has extra details, frequently asked questions, kind of an advanced questions and answers format with tons of details. This is a compendium of knowledge that I highly encourage you to check out. So go to 10xgenomics.com forward slash gem seven and bookmark it. We also want to remind you again that you have a chance to provide us with some input on the podcast and those located in the U.S. have a chance to win a 10x genomics water bottle. Just go to our webpage at 10xgenomics.com forward slash little dash gems and answer the question. What would you like to hear about on a future episode of Cell Intel? That's 10xgenomics.com forward slash little dash G-E-M-S. The drawing for the 10X Genomics water bottle now ends on September 30th, 2021. And now on with our show. Can you tell us about what the impact of using the spatial gene expression analysis has been on your future research directions and what you're planning on doing next? Yeah, so based off of what we have so far, it's been very promising and and it addressed some of the limitations that the current transcriptomics data in the literature has been where they lack the spatial context. And in the future, we hope that the experiments that we ran so far and waiting on the data to further analyze later from the sex differences will help investigate the changes in the magnocellular gene expression in terms of these sex differences in the disease model, particularly the one we use in the lab. And uh, and then based on these results from our spatial transcriptomics experiments, we can potentially integrate this with future single cell and or single cell ATAC experiments, which will provide us even more um, information and help us uncover the cellular mechanisms involved in the pathophysiology. I'm just going to plug multi-ohm really quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited to see how people are combining these data sets when it comes to multi-omics outputs and spatial and overlaying those data types to get increased resolution within each. You know, yes, we're, we could be adding on single cell gene expression. We could be mm-hmm. adding on attack data to the spatial aspect of things. But in a different way, if you look at it, kind of flip it around, if we take just multi-ohm data and then we add on spatial to that multi-ohm data, it really enriches those types of investigations as well. So it's a really exciting time. Nikki, could you tell us a bit about, from a molecular biology, kind of a core NGS perspective, what was the ease of use of this assay? Were you successful right away? Yeah, at first, like learning about it and hearing our STA give the talk, I was like, whoa, this is really intimidating. And Tom wanted to jump on it right away. And I was like, "Ah, okay, I guess we'll try. (laughs) And it was also, we adopted it during the height of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So FASs weren't coming out to do in-person training. So at the same time, the how-to videos that we were hyping up so much had come out. And so that's what we kind of used to train Mm -hmm. ourselves. We had 
the we had the printout of the protocol and we had a laptop right next to us yeah. and we were both double checking that we were doing the right <laughs> steps and went and watching the video before we pipetted just to make sure everything went smoothly and mm -hmm. we did end up having great success on our first slide. I didn't end up messing up something till a few slides later <laughs> but it was just like a silly like incubation error but yeah it was surprisingly easier than I thought even with the cryosectioning and stuff like Diana I don't think you had any previous experience with cryosectioning is that right or did you I did have cryosectioning. oh you did have, okay not you... to where we had to fit the section into such a small couch area oh, so I, right. I had to go through a lot of practice slides of like just drawing the boxes when using that template with the sharpie and yeah I mm -hmm. went through uh, several of those slides but yeah the how-to videos really helped on on that aspect, yeah. yeah and I was there during the cryosectioning and she let me try a couple of them on yeah. the practice slide and I was able to do it I did it I think it was like beginner's luck a little bit <laughs> but we were able to get them on there pretty well and yeah. yeah we didn't have to do any slide resets or anything like that it everything went pretty smoothly so it was surprisingly easy yeah it was definitely really encouraging that everything went out so smoothly because a lot of steps are involved and it, it does look intimidating if you just first glance at the the workflow and the protocol but I think the Visium spatial gene expression workflow was in a way that you don't have to Very be an accessible. expert yeah you mm -hmm. don't have to be an expert in any of these techniques necessarily to be able mm -hmm. to learn it is yeah, I feel like you think of cutting edge, you think of really laborious work, because that's how it's historically been, is like, if you want to do single cell, you're going to do one cell at a time. If you want to do spatial, it's going to take you three months, or I don't know how long it used to take, but it. you think of cutting edge, you think of like extremely laborious workflows to get these types of layered data, but mm -hmm. it's just not the case anymore. This, these types of technologies are extremely accessible now. So it's just amazing what we can do in such a short period of time now. And given your current experience level with the assay, how much documentation do you need out beside you as you're doing the workflow in the lab? Just the protocol. <laughs> yeah. Just the protocol and maybe a little shortened checklist to make sure you got everything you need. I always like to track my reagent and lot numbers mm -hmm. in case anything goes wrong. I can call tech support and be like, it was this lot. And that usually helps with support a little bit more. Can you share any learnings that you might give to a scientist that's looking to start up a spatial transcriptomics experiment with their core lab? Yeah, I think the big thing is pairing your genomics people with your microscopy people. That seems to be the quickest way to accelerate getting these assays going. I, it, my position now, I'm working with a lot more universities and I'm seeing that's usually the missing link is the genomics people like don't really have experience with sectioning and imaging and they're a little intimidated by it. And so finding a buddy to set up those handoffs at certain steps in the workflow is probably the biggest key. It definitely sounds like you two were a dream team in this regard, bringing your mutual <laughs> skill sets to the table. I love that. That's what we are, Diana, the dream yeah. team. <laughs> no, we worked really well together. When Nikki talked about recording lot numbers and all that, I do that for my experiments too. So we worked, it was like seamless. Like our, yeah, our collaboration was 
very yeah we had google docs tracking everything yeah (laughs) that's great when you have two people who do good science and they're just bringing different skill sets to the table that's the optimal situation because we had got so much data from my visium experiments that we ran my committee approved for me to to have this as like the major part of my dissertation so just completely changed your future plans based on super cool spatial data there's just so much yeah so much data left to analyze and we uh, so many questions came out of the data we have so far and so they said that this could be its own like (laughs) it was just like part of my specific aims too but now it's just like the majority of my dissertation so what was it originally what did it switch from so originally, my first aim was because of the sex differences we saw in this model, we were one of our questions was, is this a sex hormone mediated? And if so, like which which estrogen receptors are involved? So my first part of my dissertation was to, I guess, use antagonists to find out which receptors are involved. So we did an antagonist that was non-specific for the nuclear rece- ER receptors, so estrogen receptor alpha and beta. and But then that antagonist can also act as an agonist for another estrogen receptor, the G protein coupled estrogen receptor. And so we combined um, a, a G per antagonist with the ICI and the other antagonist. Now you get so to skip all that. I'm still working on that antagonist study part. I only have like um, halfway through my cohorts, but because we have a lot of groups, like the different, all the different combination of the two antagonists. And, and we can only run like certain amount of animals at a time and so that just it that's the part that takes a while but the second part that was also part of my um, original dissertation was the cellular mechanisms and that's where we brought in the the transcriptomics we were also interested in certain transcription factors which is um, why like in the future and based off of what I get from the spatial transcriptomics, we're hoping to combine that with the ATAC. Yeah, that would be good. That would be exciting. Plans for the future working in FFPE and maybe investigating previously stored clinical human samples? That would be a very interesting thing especially if we can find maybe collaborators who have the human ffpe samples that would be really interesting especially how the things we see with our animal model with the hyponatremia development due to the liver cirrhosis and also how there's an increased plasma vasopressin at least in in the males is what is seen clinically and so if we find out we get human samples that would be good to compare if anyone's listening yeah (laughs) translational work here absolutely i can see ffpe really opening up a lot of doors for previously biobanked samples and we Mm -hmm. we have just a wealth of information waiting for us to access using this technology so i'm really excited to see what the future will bring thank you so much for joining us on the cell intel podcast today it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and i wish you all of the luck in your future experiments i'm really excited to see what you're going to be coming out with next thank you so much thank you so much for having us on so it's a wrap put a bow on it 
You can find more episodes of Cell Intel Podcast at 10xgenomics.com forward slash cell dash intel. Subscribe if you want to be notified about new episodes, have the opportunity to give some feedback, or participate in polling questions or trivia contests for a chance to win a goodie and have your name, institution, and research area mentioned on the air. If you liked our podcast, your friends probably will too, so let them know about us. Thank you for listening and keep seeking out the possibilities. Mm-hmm.